Hello and welcome to Equipping the Saints. I'm Ryan and thank you for joining us today. This is week five of our study of living in the Spirit. And what we're going to talk about today is the evidences of a Spirit-filled life. And so we're going to be spending our time today in the book of Acts, and we're going to look at three different portions of Scripture that illustrate what it looks like to be called by God, to be transformed by God, and ultimately to be commissioned by God. Turn with me to the book of Acts, chapter 8. We're going to begin our time today studying the portion of Scripture related to Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. We will begin at verse 25. So when they had solemnly testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they started back to Jerusalem and were preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Get up and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. So he got up and went, and there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship. And he was returning and sitting in his chariot, and was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the Spirit said to Philip, Go up and join this chariot. Philip ran up and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet, and said, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, Well, how could I, unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of Scripture which he was reading was this, he was led as a sheep to slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he does not open his mouth. In humiliation, his judgment was taken away. Who will relate his generation? For his life is removed from the earth. The eunuch answered Philip and said, Please tell me, of whom does the prophet say this? of himself or of someone else. Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. As they went along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, Look, water! What prevents me from being baptized? And Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he ordered the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away, and the eunuch no longer saw him, but went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he kept preaching the gospel to all the cities until he came to Caesarea. So this scripture we just read 
is a beautiful illustration of what it means to be commissioned by God in the name of the Holy Spirit in order to share the good news of Jesus Christ with this world. This makes sense because Philip was there back in Acts chapter 1 before Jesus left the earth to go back to heaven. He told his disciples that in verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. And this calling, this commissioning, is still in effect to us today. And so the Holy Spirit is the one who commissions us into this service. And so while Philip was involved in the activities that occurred in Acts chapter 8, after they were heading back towards Jerusalem, Philip was called by God to go somewhere else. He had a special mission for him in order to go reach out to this Ethiopian eunuch. This was important in Philip's day because this was the time where the gospel was spreading to all of the Middle East, all of Asia, all of Africa, all of Eastern Europe, going into Western Europe. This was a massive outbreak of the Word of God. This was an incredible spread of the gospel throughout the ancient world. And so we have this occasion where Philip met with someone who was from Ethiopia. Now, as we know, Ethiopia is in Africa, and the gospel had not yet gone to Africa. But this isn't the Ethiopia that we know today. This particular area that they called Ethiopia back then was actually more of ancient Nubia, which was south of Aswan, which was much further south than modern-day Ethiopia. And we have this person who went to Jerusalem to worship. So we have this Ethiopian eunuch who was a form of a proselyte, someone who was not Jewish, but believed in the Jewish customs and believed in the Jewish God. And so he went up to Jerusalem to worship, which is what all the Jews would do anyway. And he was reading the book of Isaiah. And he was reading a very important piece of scripture that Jews today often call the forbidden chapter. This is the chapter that talks the most in the book of Isaiah about the Messiah, the promised one, the one who would rescue Israel from all its trouble. Much like Philip explains to this eunuch, we understand it to mean the prophecy of Jesus Christ in how he directly fulfilled this prophecy through his life and his death and his resurrection. And so Philip spent his time explaining this to him. And it says that in verse 35, Philip opened his mouth and beginning from that scripture, he preached Jesus to him. How wonderful that is. And that is exactly what God does through the Holy Spirit. Likely, those words that Philip spoke were not from himself. They were from God himself, because we don't have the power to save anyone. 
And we may have limited knowledge of the Word of God, but the one who reveals the truth that's within Scripture, as well as the one who speaks through us to bring people to salvation, is the Holy Spirit. So here we have a very important understanding of what the commissioning of the Holy Spirit means. Philip obeyed God's commissioning. He went, and he was the hands, the feet, and the mouthpiece of the gospel. When we have those times where we are commissioned by God to do his work, we don't need to worry about the results. God is responsible for the results, and he will do his good pleasure in that. But what he simply wants from you is obedience. If he tells you to go somewhere, we need to go. We need to obey our master. In verse 26, Philip had the opportunity to say no. The Lord spoke to Philip and said, get up and go south, which was not the same direction that everyone else was going. He could have refused. He could have disobeyed God, but he didn't. And because he didn't, he was able to bring someone to salvation through the Holy Spirit. We know that the effect of what Philip did on this eunuch was legitimate, because we show that after their discussion, immediately this eunuch wanted to be baptized. And so they found some water, and Philip wanted to make sure that this was legitimate, and he says, if you believe with all your heart, you may be baptized. Then we see perhaps the greatest confession that one could make. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So they went and baptized him. And while the baptism is something we should all be experiencing and hopefully doing for other people, this next part may not happen to you. But in this particular case, it says that the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away, as if immediately, poof, he was taken, as if he was teleported. And he disappeared from that location, and he appeared somewhere else. It mentions here that he appeared in Azotus, which is the New Testament name for what you would read in the Old Testament as the city Ashdod. Ashdod was Old Testament Philistine land. And so this was about 20 miles north of Gaza. So more or less, through this instant teleportation, or whatever you want to call it, Philip ended up somewhere about 10 to 15 miles away from where he was. And it says that after he did that, then he started working his way up to Caesarea, where he ended up staying there for a while. But all along the way, he was preaching the gospel to all the cities in between. This is evidence of someone who is filled with God's commissioning. And this is a legitimate calling, because the Holy Spirit is the one that causes this amazing transformation in people. And that's the very next thing that we're going to look at, is how the Holy Spirit transforms you. If you have not heard my testimony 
I highly recommend that you do. Not because I want to show you how amazing I am or anything like that, because I'm not. But instead, the whole point to these testimonies of God in our lives are to point to Him. Who I was before He saved me is dramatically different from who I am after He saved me. I remember my old life very clearly. I remember how miserable I was, how selfish I was, how little I cared about the things of God. But after He saved me, everything changed, and it was an immediate, remarkable transformation. Instantaneously, I became another person. And this is biblical. 2 Corinthians talks about this being turned into a new creature in Christ. Because we are new, there should be new fruit in us. There should be new evidences of this faith. And I can't think of anyone in Scripture that has a more powerful testimony than the Apostle Paul. So let's read his account to see the remarkable transformation that he went through and how immediately after his conversion, he did everything the opposite of what he was doing. And it dumbfounded people. Let's read what it says. Let's look at chapter 9 of the book of Acts. Verse 1. Now Saul, which was his name before becoming Paul, Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. This was his former life, remember? He was persecuting and murdering Christians because he was zealous for the Jewish law. He went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, which is what Christians were called before they were called Christians, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he was traveling, it happened that as he was approaching Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and it will be told you what you must do. The men who traveled with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. And leading him by the hand, they brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now, there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Get up and go to the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Paul, for he is praying. And he has seen in a vision 
a man named Ananias come in and lay hands on him, so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he did to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and after laying his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming, has sent me, so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he regained his sight, and he got up and was baptized. And he took food and was strengthened. Now, for several days, he was with the disciples who were at Damascus, and immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogues, saying, He is the Son of God. All those hearing him continued to be amazed, and were saying, Is this not he who in Jerusalem destroyed those who called on this name, and who had come here for the purpose of bringing them bound before the chief priests? But Saul kept increasing in strength and confounding the Jews who lived at Damascus by proving that this Jesus is the Christ. This is perhaps the most amazing conversion that you can find in the Bible. How profound it is to see two different men in this story acting in obedience to God. We have Ananias and we have Paul himself. Ananias he had his doubts, didn't he? When the Lord spoke through the Holy Spirit to him, he questions the mission a little bit. He has his concerns. If we understand why Ananias is saying what he's saying, he's not saying it for a reason to get out of what Jesus is telling him, but he is acting out of concern for Jesus' name. Because it says that, Lord, I have heard much about this man. He hurts your saints. He punishes those people. He carries them off to prison. He binds all the ones that call on your name. Lord, are you sure this is what you want me to do? Please confirm this mission to me. And the Lord graciously does. Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine. And Ananias goes. He doesn't hesitate any further. He fully understands what he is intended to do. The beautiful thing about this is that he tested the spirits. And this is something that we should be doing too. Because so often in our lives, we have a lot of competing voices. Sometimes it's we're speaking to ourselves what we need to do. Sometimes it's the voice of God. Sometimes it's the voice of Satan. Sometimes it's the voice of somebody else. But we need to confirm who it is 
that's commissioning us. And ultimately, when God commissions us, it will always turn out good. It will always turn out according to his will, and it will never contradict the Bible. So in this case, Ananias was testing the spirits. He had his concerns and his worries, and Jesus expelled all those worries. He comforted him and confirmed the mission. And Ananias acted immediately in obedience to Christ, which is something that we need to be doing too. But notice the transformation of Paul here. He was someone who was imprisoning Christians because they spoke the name of Jesus. Even today, the name of Jesus is highly offensive to the Jewish culture. We just read about what Philip was reviewing with the Ethiopian eunuch, and what were they talking about? Isaiah chapter 53, which was prophecy about the Messiah. Philip proved that Jesus was the Messiah, and he believed. The Jews today still don't believe that Isaiah chapter 53 is about Jesus. They still think it's about their Messiah, but they don't claim Jesus as their Messiah. They didn't back then, and they still don't today. So now they falsely attribute it to either Isaiah himself or to the Jewish people as a whole. And that's why this is also called the forbidden chapter, because it is highly incriminating of the Jewish culture that they have denied the Lord when he came as a man. And because they don't want that on their conscience, they just forbade the chapter, which is something that is against their very law, not to add or remove from God's words, or lest there be a punishment. But anyway, my point is that Paul had the same mindset with these Christians, that everything about Jesus and everything that they're saying is against the word of God. They worshiped God through the Old Testament. Everything that happened from Genesis to Malachi was what they call the Law and the Prophets, and that's where he based his religion and his religious zeal off. But, as we have discussed, you cannot understand the Word of God without his own intervention. And so, when he was converted to Christianity, the Holy Spirit opened his eyes to the Scripture, and through that, as we know, he wrote practically half of the New Testament after that. So we know that Paul is a very intelligent man, and he knows the Old Testament scriptures. But because he falsely attributed the Christians to a rebellious group, he was zealous for God's name. His motives were good. He wanted to defend God's honor and God's religion but he did not fully understand the situation. He did not fully understand what he was dealing with. And when he had a personal interaction with Jesus Christ, that changed everything. And when Ananias came, laid his hands on him, and he received the Holy Spirit, Paul was a brand new person at that point. He regained his sight, he chose to be baptized, he ate food, and then he wasted no time in worshiping God and telling people what he's experienced. 
He was fully convinced, and he went and started sharing Jesus immediately. Do you see what I'm trying to get at here? You don't have to be a Christian for long to be able to share Jesus. You don't have to be an expert of the Bible to share Jesus. You don't have to go to seminary or Bible school or get a certification in order to share Jesus. From the moment that you're saved, the Holy Spirit gives you everything you need to fulfill the mission. You may not know all the tools that are in your toolbox yet, but they're all there. And from the moment that you're saved, you have a powerful testimony of being transformed by the Holy Spirit. He commissions you, but more importantly, he transforms you. You are no longer the same person you once were. That old person is dead. And now you are reborn in Jesus Christ. So my first point was that he commissions individuals for his service, right? And we saw that through Philip. Secondly, he transforms you internally so that you can be different externally. And then the third aspect of what the Holy Spirit does is show that these transformed people come together in one community and they look very different to the rest of the world and they speak externally the glorious nature of the transformation they've gone through internally. This is the church. This is what the church is supposed to be, an assembly of Christians who have been born again and have a story to tell. And not only have a story to tell, but have conduct that matches it. While you're still in chapter 9 of the book of Acts, go down to verse 31 to see what I mean. Read what it says. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed peace, being built up and going on in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. It continued to increase. That's what we should be looking like. This is what the Lord is commissioning his church to look like. This specifically is speaking about enjoying peace within ourselves. Because if you looked at the few verses before that, it says that people were trying to put Paul to death. So that's not the kind of peace that we're talking about here. We're not talking about having a peace with the world around us. We should be people of peace, yes. We're not pacifists, but we are people of peace. Meaning that, as long as it depends on you, we are at peace with all men, which is actually what it says in the book of Romans. But perhaps more specifically, we are at peace within ourselves. The church, within the body of Christ, is united in one direction, and that is the fulfillment of the gospel. Are we that in our church today? Are we united under that banner? Or are we there for different reasons? Only you know that. And we have talked about this before. But that's a question we need to ask ourselves and take some inventory when we go to church. Are we there for the right reasons? And is the entire church united under that banner? Then it also says that 
as they are enjoying peace, they are being built up. They are learning. They are growing together. They are in fellowship with one another. They are being trained and equipped in righteousness so that they can leave the church and go and witness to the world outside. We don't just lock ourselves up in the church and everything we talk about at church stays in church. This isn't Las Vegas. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, right? That doesn't happen in church. What happens in the church does not stay in the church. What you learn in the church must go outside its walls to fulfill the Great Commission, to go and make disciples of all nations. So they enjoyed peace, they were being built up, and they were going on in the fear of the Lord. Does your church fear the Lord? Now again, this doesn't mean that we're afraid of God, that we're scared of him. But what it's talking about is, do we give God the reverence? Do we give him the honor and the respect that he deserves? Do we understand the weightiness of the scripture? That we don't take the commands of God lightly. That we don't feel like pleasing ourselves, and then when we have time, we obey what we want to obey in the Bible. Do we understand how heavy the commands of God's are in our life? Do they mean something to you? Do we understand that there should be no violation of God's word for you? If we don't have that understanding within the walls of the church, then there's a problem. We have to have a proper fear of the Lord, and if we don't fear the Lord, why are we going to do anything for him? We likely won't. So they were going on in peace, they were being built up, they were going on in the fear of the Lord, and then lastly, they, in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, were continuing to increase. The Holy Spirit was comforting. And that statement reinforces what I was saying about enjoying peace. They were at peace within themselves, but they still had the issues outside with the world that hated them. But the Holy Spirit gives us comfort in those times. There will be hardships. There will be persecutions. There will be struggles. But with the Holy Spirit, he gives us comfort. He gives us that peace of mind, that confidence that what we are doing is not a waste of time, and that we are able to do these things. The pressures on our own will be insurmountable, but with the Holy Spirit, all things are possible. He gives us everything we need to fulfill everything he wants us to do. We are fully equipped at the moment of salvation for doing his work. So if this is the reality of our situation, that God calls us into salvation, that he transforms us through the spiritual baptism of the Holy Spirit, and then he commissions us not only as individuals, but as a church, what more is there that we should be doing? Perhaps we need to know what God wants from us. Perhaps we should know our scripture very intimately to understand who God is and what he expects from us. 
perhaps we need to know the Lord personally, through a personal relationship with Him, in prayer and meditation of His Word. Perhaps we need to take church more seriously, not just go when it's convenient for us, when it fits in our schedules, or we like being in pajamas so much that we choose to stay home instead of go to church. We can make excuses all we want for not attending church, but ultimately the Bible says that we need to come together as a body of believers. And if we are united in that effort, the Lord will bless you. And together, as a body of believers, we will be able to reach a world that desperately needs to hear the gospel. So what are we waiting for? Are we waiting for God to tell us what to do? Maybe we need to stop talking, stop distracting ourselves, and listen. I will be the first to admit that I am not always good at this. There are a lot of things in my life that compete for my attention. And quite honestly, there are a lot of things I put in my life that compete for my attention. But yet, I have discovered that the times that I put those things aside and I give God my full attention, everything is different in the best possible way. I am more sensitive to God's calling in my life. I am able to hear and respond to what God has for me in his word and in my day-to-day life. So I encourage you to take time to separate yourself from the distractions of life and dedicate time to God. I was listening to a podcast recently from a group called Bridge Ministries, which are in the same town as I am, but they run a coffee shop and a ministry here in town, and they're also starting up a co-op with Birmingham Theological Seminary to be kind of like a satellite campus for them. And every so often they will review books and they will interview people who either authored them or some preachers or some very influential people in the Christian world. And the last person they talked to was... Dr. William Thrasher, and he had something very remarkable to say when it comes to the commissioning of God in our lives. And the illustration he used really hit home with me. He knew a guy who was so on fire with the Spirit that two things happened. One was, he was the kind of person who had to fill out their calendar with their whole routine, and with their whole schedule. That way they can stay on task, right? Being in the business world myself, I understand that very well. And so that's what caught my attention. But what he says he does is he puts an appointment in his calendar every day for God. For example, from 7.30 a.m. to 8.30 a.m., I have an appointment with God. And if someone or something tries to interfere with that appointment, they simply say, well, no, I can't do it. I have an appointment already. And so he purposely separates himself and makes time for God every single day. Everyone should be doing something like that. 
Do you do that? Do you make time for God every day? Does he mean enough to you that you can dedicate a chunk of your time to him? You should be making time for him. He is your savior. He is the keeper of your soul. He is your redeemer. Why wouldn't you make time for him? The other thing that he said, when he mentioned the same person, Dr. Thrasher also said this about him, that when he had free time, he didn't think of it as free time. He thought of free time as time to spend with God. And I think that is a wonderful way to look at it. When we have free time, what do we think about first? Do we think about how we can spend time with the Lord or how we can entertain ourselves? I am by no way saying that we are not allowed to entertain ourselves. We should have times where we can mentally unplug and unwind and relax, absolutely. But do we give our very best to God? And that's something we have to think about and we have to seriously look at ourselves in the mirror and consider. So those two things were very impactful for, to me, and I hope they were of use to you. These two qualities of this gentleman were valuable insight for me, and I hope that they helped you in some way. But in the coming days, remember that God has called you into salvation if you have indeed tasted the Lord's goodness. After that, we have a responsibility to respond to his commissioning. He does have a unique mission for you. The only way you're going to know what God wants you to do for him is if you ask him and if you listen. Take some time these coming days to listen and learn what God has for you to do. But understand this as well. He may not give you a new mission that is nowhere mentioned in the Bible until you obey what he has already told you to obey in the Bible. This is important. We need to obey the things he first told us before we ask for anything else. Take some time to consider that this week. I thank you for your time, and I hope that this study was helpful for you. And that's all I have for today. Thank you for listening. I'm Ryan, and we'll see you next time. Take care, and God bless you.